thing today or uh, other particular issues? Dharma questions and so forth? Still is open. going on, and what I mean by amplifying it is if I pick it up and say, 
I am probably the world's worst meditator <laughs> of all those who have ever attempted Buddhist meditation in the last two and a half thousand years. <laughs> I am almost certainly the worst. N- n- uh, none puts infra, no, none worse than me. So that, um, you just, and then, you know, we can't laugh because it's like, oh, it's ridiculous. So we're actually um, able to notice and let go of the, the attachment by, by sort of taking it to its logical conclusion or amplifying it, taking it to absurdity. So similar, similarly, if we find ourselves you know, caught up in the, in the murk and, and uh, we can't figure out what it is that we're clinging to, then just cling to something really hard. Just um, uh, say, they're um, taking a, an idea or a feeling, and then to um, say, you know, and then to amplify that in the same way, like see if you can attach to it, you know, absolutely, completely, fully. Um, do, you, do you understand what I mean? And so then, you know, by taking that little, um, it's rather like, uh, you know, you know, there's there's something burning somewhere. You can't see where it is, so you just start, you know, you can pump a little bit of extra oxygen into the mix and then <laughs> flares up. Okay, there it is, okay, I see. That's where the fire is. So then you can see it because of, of, of pumping it out. Sometimes it's even physically attaching, just sort of cling, just sort of pick up some object and just say, well, if you're going to cling, cling! You know, like. And then, um, actually generating that kind of physical tension even within yourself and then just uh, do that for a while and then then just relax, stop the, you know, loosen your grip and then notice again what's there when, when we loosen the grip oh even if it's just for half a second, a second it's like, you know, in that moment where, the, where even just physically we kind of and uh, uh, loosen the hold, loosen our, our, our grasping, then there's a natural quality of ease and peacefulness and, and simplicity. So that in that, then it, it again reminds us, oh, there is that. When the grasping stops, then that's what's here. Well, and, and then also the more that we experience, we have worked with that, sometimes just uh, something to remind ourselves with, which can just be like a, just, all we have to do is to, to think, remember. And, you know, we know the, we know the rest within us. It's just a matter of remembering. And then the period is longer, these types of the non-regional actors, which naturally kind of creates a way to see. You know, it's like, I, I have to do it. <laughs> 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 and it, it's so much more difficult mm-hmm. to do what I do, you know, the more, you know, the page mode. Yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> yeah. we have to, we have to put on this persona. Yeah. Like earlier today, I was having a conversation with Robert about, um, um, you know, the 
practicing as a lay person or practicing as a monastic and and, uh, and he is saying, you know, there seems to be this, this kind of this sense of, of um, you know, it's really not it's, there's, there's a kind of inferior quality to it um, and that you know, oh, it doesn't really quite fit right you know, there seems to be some kind of negativity there towards you know, lay practice or being in relationship that kind of thing and it's, it's really interesting because it's like the Buddha was a pragmatist he wasn't an idealist and so he went to what works and so and it's exactly that kind of um, experience you're describing it's not that you know lay life is intrinsically more harmful I mean you can develop a very substantial ego as a monastic certainly <laughs> <laughs> <me> tell you <laughs> The thing we, we everything around us is encouraging us to put on the persona and to believe in it, and everyone is sort of believing in their persona, their mask, and so that um, it's it's hard to remember. Hey, this is this is theatre, <laughs> because everyone else is you know is, is immersed in their role, and that they're expecting you to be immersed in your role, believing in your role. And that when you say, hey, you know, this, this is just theatre, they say, really? <laughs> and so, uh, it's, you know, the, it's hard to, to, I mean, it's good that you notice that. I mean, the fact that you notice, oh, this is harder, that's good. <laughs> because at least, it is, it is, seriously, because at least we're noticing that there's something there. Right? You see what I mean? Yeah. That because uh, the, the fact that we say this is hard implies that we know that there's another there's another possibility, <laughs> there's another way of being, where um, we don't have to put that on. This is often why we like to be alone or like to be out in the in the uh, the the countryside, like away from human creation, because there's not a lot of stuff that's making me into a person. I don't have to to be a personality for the rocks in the school. It's like, you know, the Buddha encouraged the monastics to live in the forest. It's like, they don't care, they, you know, the, the trees and the squirrels and the rocks, they don't care how intelligent you are. Or, you know. And there's something a little about the whole thing about cultivating the whole thing so that you can have the next blind of body, mm-hmm. and that's a compassion and equanimity are natural, you know, phenomena. Um, so it's like, it, it is, you know, when you're a lay person, it is that you're nurturing yourself to foster that, um, you know, balance with the activity, and, 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 and so, I, I just understand. No, there's a nurturing. Yeah. Right? Yeah, well, nurturing, there's a conscious nurturing of those cultural qualities, so we don't have to make them personal. You have to take it personally, like I am being compassionate, or I am being I am a kind person, or I am being equanimous. I mean, you can put a lot of there can be a lot of effort put into cultivating those qualities without making it into into uh, an identity. It's very interesting that like earlier today I was talking about the the four aspects of right effort: the uh, sangara, pahana, uh, bala, and anurakana, the restraint. Um, letting go, cultivation, and maintaining. 
Um, they bear a very close resemblance to you know, a, a couple of the causes of, of suffering when the Buddha outlined the, the cause of suffering Dukkha Samudaya then they have sense desire which is the one that you know, most people know but next two there's the three said Gama Tanha, Bhava Tanha, Vibhava Tanha Gama Tanha, sense desire is the one that gets all depressed but the other two are the sort of shadowy you know, characters off in the wings and that's the desire to become and the desire to get rid of so they bear a very close resemblance to um, the effort, to, the right effort to cultivate and, and maintain and being <laughs> and the effort to restrain and the effort to let go of hard to tell the difference and so like one is, you know, is the cause of the problem and the other is the, is the cure <laughs> and it's like well <laughs> how do you tell the difference between the desire to get rid of and letting go? How do you tell the difference between um, the desire to become and cultivating wholesome qualities? And so the, 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 the categorical difference is me, is the I element, is that, that that's what's always the, the kind of um, uh, the, the, the trouble is caused by the, uh, the I element in a way co-opting those uh, aspects of right effort it's, so then it's not um, let the whole thing be cultivated it's like I am going to get my practice together yeah. I'm going I'm to get concentrated I'm going to develop insight I am, I have developed insight I am what a wise person you know. the I takes very wholesome things and then goes and runs with it and then that becomes the cause for, for suffering but not very long after so, it, but it's in ways of, uh, of skillfully working with it um, just, uh, the, I find it very helpful particularly uh, like if I'm living in a, a situation in the monastery where there's a lot of activity during the day there's not a lot of space in the day and there's many things going on like uh, I was on this um, uh, session at Spirit Rock um, for, the, uh, for their old, uh, older students um, and one of the people there was saying that you know, she had been seriously considering monastic life and, and she went to Amavati Monastery in England and, she was, and, and the, her previous experiences were like at the Mahati Yekta in Burma and the, the, um, the Upandita and you know, where basically the monasteries are the truth centers and it's like you go to your room and you meditate period <laughs> and so she was thinking yeah I really want to do this full time but I want to go and live with some, some western nuns that are being in Asia so she went to Amaravati and she was just uh, you know, astonished but it's like it's not a meditation it's not a retreat center you know it's a community and you live with other people and you have to interact with personalities and a lot of stuff going on both you know work around the monastery and interactions of all kinds so she was sort of really taken aback for that. Mm-hmm. How full the days were. She said she came away, you know, hating it and thinking of it all the time, <laughs> longing to get back there. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> so, you know, when I lived at Amravati um, in England, it was uh, it's a big place, like you know, community of 50, 50 people, and. Uh, my days would start at 4 o'clock and, and finish at 10-ish and it would be pretty much stuff 
uh, all the whole time. You know, from, from one end to the other. And I sometimes get back to my room at 10 in the evening and well, what was all that? And so what I began to do was, because the days were so full of all kinds of responsibilities and activities, and they were all good stuff, but, um, was that uh, at the beginning of the day I was very consciously uh, uh, bring to mind, okay, now, this whole phantasmagoria is about to come into being. So let's just, you know, let's consciously uh, notice the space before the, before the show begins. And then there's a sense of, uh, of being, I kind of alone in my room, and then, you know, and then that sense of kind of impersonal presence and, and mindfulness and, and quietness, and then going out and joining the day and then being fully immersed in doing all the things that need to be done and all of the, the good stuff that was happening. Then at the end of the day, so it's rather like sort of consciously putting a mask on at the beginning of the day. Okay, let's, I'll go out and be Ajahnama. <laughs> and then at the end of the day, get back, getting back to my room after sort of holding his down and sort of take it off again. And then you're creating a kind of parenthesis for the day. So it's like, whatever happens, and I used to constantly say to myself, okay, whatever happens after this point, don't believe in it. You know, don't trust anything that happens after you walk through that door. <laughs> and then you, know, you go out and you can do the whole thing, you swim in it, and then you come back, and then it's like, huh, like you know, finishing the, stepping out of the theatre. And stepping out of the, the role like, oh. so that even though that all that you're engaged in all that stuff and you're doing that and you're, you're, you're very sincere and wholehearted about what you're doing but you're creating a context for it or you're seeing the context that, that actually already exists that you can, can miss otherwise and so just that you know, flagging those points before and after you know, before you become this person and then after you stop being that person so that you'll see, oh, the personhood is something that comes into being and it, it ceases. That then it becomes much, much less of a burden. Another thing to do is uh, if you go to your, if you have a a, work, a place where you go to work or interact with, when you're interacting with people, spend time there when there's no one else around and when you're not in mode. That's a helpful thing. Like if you work in an office in school. Say, so you, you, know, you, you work in a school. Yeah. Uh, go, to the, go to the school or go to the place where you spend you, you most of your time, like an hour early or two hours early of yourself. And just, and then go there and don't do anything. Just, and I, I would do this a lot. Just go there and just kind of look around. And all these things that you sort of relate to during the course of the day that have sort of got various different loadings on them at one time or another. I was like, oh there's my drawer, and there's my computer, and yeah, there's my you know, paint box, and there's my board, and there's my, you know, and that's huge stuff, and that's, you know, and it's like, oh. And you can say, oh look, there's, some, there's all these things. You're actually picking up the attributed qualities to them, and in a way, and that's when you're not in mode, or being a person in relationship to that space or those objects, you can see, ah, look at what is kind of imputed to those 
and, uh, and that they actually are just what they are. It's just plant, <coughs> table, carpet, yeah, paper clip, chair, window, you know. And that, uh, I find it would make a huge difference to them being in that space and interacting with people and doing stuff and doing the course of the day. Because you know, in the same sense, you can notice the space in which it's all happening. Rather like with the meditation, I'm saying that you, you notice the silence that's in there behind the sound.
and we, we shouldn't expect to sort of see things in exactly this light all the way along, but it's a good place to begin. Like, I want to be a better person rather than I'm just going to do, you know, do nothing. Or just sort of hang out and, and hope for the best. Um, so that that, um, that that kind of... And you know that if you look at the Buddhist scriptures, the, the Buddha uses that kind of language. Uh, like in sort of self-improvement language, a lot. Yeah, quite freely. It's not like the personal pronouns of, of a boat. You know, he's quite free in, in talking about that. You know, and that the, the wise person will do this, the wise person will not do that, and the foolish person will do this, and so on. There's a lot of persons around. And so that it's, it's like, as long as you know you're picking up the mark, and putting it on and, and engaging that, then when it ca- when it comes time for that or for that to be taken off or or that that's no longer needed, then you recognise there's nothing missing here, or that when you start to notice, oh, as long as that I'm thinking in terms of of me the meditator, me the doer, me the experiencer, then there's a, there's something clogging the system. Oh, well, obviously that's the sense, sense of me that 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 that's clogging it up. Okay, well. Now, at this point, that needs to be really clearly seen and, and, and completely let go of, because at this point, it's not useful. So that, you know, it's, uh, as long as we're seeing it as within that scope, then it's, that's, that's, that's fine, because it's, just, I mean, it's a useful thing. It's like Ajahn Chah used to say, you know, if we try to let go of self on the relative level, that, you know, it, 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 we're, we're missing the point, because it's a conventional truth, but it can be useful. It's like our name. He said, he said uh, like, you know, if we try to let go of, of, the, of self on a, on a relative level, it'd be like if we all just called ourselves person. <laughs> you know. He said, I come into them and say, hey, person, you know, everyone's going to turn their head. Because <laughs> everybody's person. But if you only want to talk to, you know, one particular one, then you have a name, because that's the one you want to talk to. And so, yeah, it's, there's a usefulness in employing that. It's just, it's when we think of the I as an ultimate reality, and, and there's something that's intrinsically solid and independent, but then it, just, it causes difficulties. It becomes a hindrance. Is that yeah. helpful? Yeah. I encountered a lot of sloth and torpor in my sitting earlier, and 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 then when I'm walking, I'm encountering I don't know if it's doubt or, or boredom, <laughs> <laughs> but and I recognize that um, when I go into a longer retreat, say when I start to get quieter, I get those symptoms more than in, in the daily sitting or daily walking. More than I get more than, and uh-huh. and, and so I watch. I'm wondering. I'm watching that. Boredom. I'm really. I've done this walking now for 30 minutes. That's enough. I need to get on to other things. So I'm clinging to, <laughs> clinging to doing, I'm clinging to, and then I think, well, coming back to sitting is not any more interesting than walking. <laughs> 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 well, maybe I could think so. So I'm just wondering how to. <laughs> I know that. Um, I watched that arise today, and I watched myself lately not sit in my daily mm-hmm. And there's something about that clinging to being in action, I think, mm-hmm. um, where it's hard for me to just 
Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. um, so I'm wondering, maybe one of the questions is, what do you do as you do start to slow down in a day long or five day long or ten day long? Um, it used to just a bit first day or two that was mm-hmm. difficult for me. But I don't, I don't, I want to, I want to, I'm clinging to one thing to enjoy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wonder if you have any guidance around, first of all, what happens in that first day of retreat, and second of all, how to come back to my daily practice, which I'm starting to lose. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a few things in there. Um, I suspect that what's happening is, because this is not an uncommon experience. <laughs> I understand that. Um, that boredom is, 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 is uh, almost invariably related to the feeling of, of, of self. If there's no sense of self, it's impossible to be bored. And so, uh, what happens is that we, our sense of being gets woven very thoroughly together with our activity, our, our doingness. And so when you're coming, when you're in your ordinary life and you, you, you come into a retreat, you're, there's a, speaking about addiction earlier on today, you know, there's an addiction to activity. So we get habituated to a certain level of activity which makes me feel sort of alive in a way that keeps keep me stoked and put because we've got our drugs. There's stuff for me to do. You know, we've, got a, we've got a good supply of our, of our, our favorite uh, uh, material. And then suddenly there's a price cut off. <laughs> so, you know, those of us who, who are, are addicted to caffeine very simple, you know, extremely simple, similar um, situation where suddenly you stop drinking tea or coffee and then suddenly, and <laughs> down goes the energy level, like, wow, I feel really dull. Well, you feel dull because you know, we, we've kept ourselves hurt by having infusions of caffeine. So that becoming, um, the, that um, becoming habit that is in in a way, what we mean by keeping busy, like in Buddhist jargon, we call that becoming bhava. Um, doing stuff, our work, our activity, our families, etc. But that's like our, our basic sort of caffeine input. And when the becoming, when the stuff that is there that feeds our becoming, like stuff for me to do, and I think that, when, that, when, when the, the supply is cut off, then down we go, and we feel sort of dull and heavy and sleepy and weak something. How do I keep awake during the day? I mean, <laughs> so, <laughs> and uh, so it's just really like coming off any drugs. You know, so <laughs> keeping you you perked up when you come off the drugs, and you, you the the system has habituated to a certain level of stimulation, and when the stimulus the, the stimulation is, is reduced, then the um, the system takes time to adjust. Uh, you know, our, our bodies and minds, are, are, they always adapt to the, the level of, of input that we're, we're hearing and feeling. Mm-hmm. So, that, and that's usually why people after two or three days on a retreat, it's like, oh, oh okay, I'm back <laughs> again. And that's because, you, you know, you, you got, you've come off the drugs. Pretty, you know, that simple. Mm-hmm. So, I thought, all right, could I just label um, 
adjusting, 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 you know, mm-hmm. that the body's just changing. Yeah, at least once a year I stop drinking tea, caffeine, tea, caffeine. And I usually you know, I fast for a couple of weeks and I stop drinking tea. And yeah, you see for the first couple of days, you know, I'm a I'm a, a slug. You know, just a little dull and heavy and a bit of a headache and and cranky. That's just the effect of not you know, not having my favourite drug. Mm-hmm. So I just assume, okay, the first few days of, of the, the retreat are gonna be like this. I'm kind of just Staying, I just stay in, in seclusion in my in my city and and, uh, and start the fast, and that's just the way it begins. So, you, okay, this is normal. You, know, you don't. It's like it's up to us in any one moment whether we create suffering out of a situation or not. So that whether your mind is heavy and dull and and uh, the mood is cranky, or or whether it's sort of perky and bright and full of uh, full of beams and alert. Either way, we can we can create a problem out of it or not. You know. <laughs> so the point is to to see that it, that we have that choice in every moment, and that if we and or if we just if we're sick, and the system is like that, then again we can we can sort of sit there and complain about it's not fair, why you why me, you know, I've been waiting for this retreat all year, and now I've got this flu and. Yeah, it might have it might be seemingly very reasonable to complain. But like like I was just te- teaching a ten day retreat and this a woman was on there who'd fallen fifty feet down a, a rock. And she was out climbing in the in the wilderness and she'd uh, she'd nearly died twice. She she completely lost the use of one of her kidneys, she mm-hmm. lost pints and pints of blood, she her whole nervous system shut down. She, you know, slowly, bit, bit by bit, her body uh, nerves are waking up again. She used to be a triathlete. She was sort of going around the retreat on a walking stick, and, and you know her list of injuries was staggering. And she said, "There's incredible discomfort." And she said, "And you know, I realise it, it's, it's my choice if I make a problem out of it or not." And uh, you know, she could feel totally justified in being miserable. But she says, who loses? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like, I can, make, I can sit here and moan and complain, or I can just say, oh look, there's this new feeling in my right shoulder. Ooh, that's funny, I didn't see how that one before. <laughs> and just be alert to it. So, um, in terms of of um, keeping sort of fresh to you and, and sort of working at your daily practice, then um, it's a lot to do with being interested in it. And so, like when when you like when you, you feel that sense of well, I could be doing something much more important than this. Then, in a way, it's, it's helpful to just uh, to, to really. Let yourself feel that feeling of I want to get past this because the next thing is I want to get past this because that is more interesting. That that's the sort of core dynamic of becoming. <laughs> like that is more interesting than this. Whatever this is, that has the potential to be more interesting. <laughs> so it's like that you know just the thatness 
it's got more sort of mystery and appeal than, than this, because this is ordinary, but that. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so the whole consumer culture runs around, runs on that, that dynamic. So just to, to really look at that, you know, when you when you see that happen, when you feel that, you have to bring your attention to that. And it can be you can do little exercises, like um, you can just take some really simple object and then you know, like just go in and just ask yourself, well what is this? What what actually what what is this? And you go, well, the, the thing that thing does this, no, but but what is it? Well, it's a, it's, a, it's a material object. Well, what's that? Well, it's, it's something that, yeah, in the material world, it's something that's being perceived. It's, it's a thing. Well, what's what's a thing? <coughs> you know, like, and like any aspect of nature, when we, the stuff that we live with, that we're kind of overlooking, we have a, a huge forgettery <laughs> faculty within us. It's just screaming out. Yeah, lots of stuff, and it's only like I'm only interested in the interesting stuff that's moving, and it's to do with me. Anything <laughs> 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 that is not active and it's nothing to do with me, I'm not interested. I haven't got time. It's boring. <laughs> and so that is like the the the, the voice of Mara. That's sort of keeping us totally shackled to the birth and death addictive cycle. So that what this that just doing some little exercise like that, that's just one ordinary insignificant thing, you know, teak up or leaf or stick or something. Think, what is this? What really is this? And then the more that you you look at something in an investigative way like that, and you start to find that that in you which recognizes I don't know. <laughs> I don't I don't know really what anything is. And you can't really say, no one can really say, really, what any, anything truly is. Huh. And suddenly you're in the middle of a, of a miracle. Mm-hmm. Even your, you know, your teacups are like, wow, how do you do that? <laughs> That's incredible. That's such teacups. Probably <laughs> <laughs> you want to be sort of tripping out and <laughs> <laughs> losing your day job because of all the dewy eyed over your crockery. <laughs> but just to just doing that kind of thing as an exercise to counteract that I've got time for this, I'm sorry, you know, but we have got important things to do, I've got places to go, I've got stuff to accomplish. I've got time for this. Because that's just sort of, you know, just like <laughs> accelerating over the cliff. Yeah. Um, I'm working with the children at um, the Sangha, and I was raised in a pretty conservative Christian setting. Um, and it, it's very interesting teaching these kids, most of whom are, are coming into the halfway through, you know, their lifetime too, having been exposed to all of the stuff of our world. And I find that while they're they're interested in in it and um, have questions and 
and have fun going through the tradition of trying to get them to understand the application of simplicity to a world where they're bombarded <laughs> with such <laughs> You know, it, it, it's difficult to compete and, and find mm. a lesson to begin mm. with. So I, I think I'm probably am asking for a, a really secret teaching here. But, <laughs> 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 but, but what about presenting to, to children of the Western culture? Mm. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, and I wasn't raised there, so I didn't get the story. You know, it's like I would probably have a much easier time teaching the Christian belief system <laughs> because I grew up in that and heard mm. the story. Yeah, it's it's not easy. Um, one thing that immediately comes to mind is is um, it's not just a matter of stories. It's it's a matter of of being, of the way, a way of being, and a situation. So, like, and obviously you can't have every class as a field trip. So I don't know how you, you sort of meet together with the kids, but um, just that quality of being away from the realm of human construction and the kind of engaging in the in the. the um, You know, the, the mountains and the forests and the, you know, the rocks and the rivers and, and just being involved in in situations where I am not in control. Like taking the kids sort of out on the river where you might be bored or you might not be bored but, you know, you're out on the water and you better <laughs> you've got to do something to stay afloat and to, to stay with others. So a kind of something that's been in... in, in intrinsically inquir- uh, requiring physical engagement and an attunement to, to the, the ways of, of nature, that you can't just live in an abstracted and, and sort of hyper-stimulated sense world. Mm-hmm. So that there's a there's like needing to move and, and work with the cycles of nature. So like backpacking is great, I mean simplicity is, is, is great. I don't know what age kids you're working with. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and we're stuck in the room for two hours, mm-hmm. you know, with, um, in the evening. But, but I, I, what I hear you saying is doing some hands-on thing. I mean, we can do, you know, I think it's, you know, some of the things that were done back in the 70s where we turn out the light is on for each other and we just see people around to do that kind of stuff. Hands-on kind of. We could, you know, you know, the, you know, the <laughs> yeah, getting away from the the um, the sense of uh, I am in control and I can choose to stimulate myself in any way that I like because there's such a huge variety of different things to choose from and that it's just a matter of, of selecting which form of entertainment I want now. Okay. So situations which... Two or three. <laughs> yeah, yeah, still hanging through. <laughs> So situa- you know, situations where one can get away from that, like just have your meetings rather than in a room, you know, go meet in the woods, go meet in the park, you know, go meet in the river, you know, just like actually in something you've got to gear up for it, you've got to, there's, a, there's a, a having to mesh with or surrender to something that's bigger than me that I, I'm not in control of. And, and that, you know, so there's 
will probably be some resistance to that in some ways. But, <laughs> but that um, that's what comes to mind. And there's, there's stories you, you can tell, but um, also just the way you are. I mean, from the kids, particularly like elementary school age kids, the way the adults are says a lot more than the stories that they that they tell. That you know, you don't get upset. There's the things that you would normally find upsetting, or you you respond in ways that. Uh, that they can model themselves on that, that they embody those whole, you know, helpful values. That's the thing that communicates. Listen, shut up! I'm going to tell you about. I'm trying to teach you about Dharma. <laughs> <laughs> so shut up and listen. Shut up and listen. You don't teach them for Edna. On a similar um, vein, your chief actually teaching two of my kids in this class. It's something I've been kind of mulling over a few times is what to do about fear. It partially has to do with my own and partially with my kids. Um, we don't hide things from our children in the house, the world of what's going on in the movie mm-hmm. and, and they ask us a lot of tough questions and we have a hard time, you know, we try to process it as best as we can, but, you know, there's a lot to be afraid of in this world, a lot of bad things that happen. And uh, trying to teach my eight-year-old his developing a, a definitely a concept that there are a lot of things that mommy and daddy aren't in control of and trying to model good behaviors so we went and served food at a uh, potluck for the homeless and that kind of thing. She was so terrified on the way home. She said, I don't want to do that again, mommy. I don't want to do it again. I said, why? She said, a man had a knife there. He had a knife. And, I, and I'm afraid of this knife. And he was trying to explain you know, it could have been for cutting his food, or he lives on the street, you gotta have a knife. You know, I have a knife in my pocket, and I use it, so forth. But, you know, it's kind of like how our minds can run away with things, mm-hmm. and how do we explain it to ourselves, and how do we explain it to our kids? So, it's a poorly formed question, but, um, you know, when talking to kids, uh, how do we how do we address some of those big questions, those big dumb questions, as well as you know, maybe maybe I don't have the right answer mm-hmm. myself, so I can't really tell her why either. Mm-hmm. Oh. Well, I certainly uh, applaud um, being straight with children. I think uh, kids can, can deal with a lot more than uh, they're given credit for. And it's certainly better to, to uh, be straight with them than to tell them the falsehood. Um, and that, uh, and also not feeling like you have to have all the answers. Like you say, well, you know, well, mommy, why did they do that? And you and say, well, I don't know, honey. Speak to me. I mean, I could, I can't imagine why I would, you know, I, I would never do that. And I don't know anybody, none of my friends, people would do that. But some people, they they act that way. And uh, what do you think? Why would they do that? So that you know, you're not 
trying to be like an answer, you know, the, the, the source of all answers. Because so when you don't know, just tell them, I don't know. And that, um, because you're, in a way, what kids mostly want to know is, and what a parent can mostly do, is embody that quality of reliability and security and love. Like, that, there is, that you are there and you care and um, you are um, accessible for them. Yeah. And so that that's, um, that's the details then of, of, of the, you know, what information you can provide or what entertainment you can provide or even what sort of living situation you can provide. It's kind of secondary to that. Like, and I've seen it, I think it's looking at that life and, and our, our, our world. Across all cultures, it seems to be that's what the parents really um, most helpfully does for a child. And so then, um, and it also depends a lot on the child. You know, what, what sort of cat, are they uh, full of questions? Are they very assertive? Are they very fragile? Are they kind of, what do they like? You know, so we have to respond to, to the kids just according to their own nature. But just that, um, trying to to be uh, to be present for them, to uh, love them, not always go along with what they ask for. But yeah. mommy, you do love me. You let me have one, but well, honey, I love you, and you can't have one. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but also, as I was saying, that mostly what kids learn is is from our, the way we are. And so, if you deal with situations by, by getting angry and upset, that's the way they're going to deal with situations. So, um, if, you, uh, if that's not a pathway that you follow, or that when you are angry, then you, you, you train yourself not to act on that. But, you, but um, even if you feel angry, some say, okay, I'm feeling very upset and, and angry, but I'm not saying that. Saying that they don't do anything, say something. Then that communicates itself to your kids. And that's a really that's a great gift. To see that, you know, that because you can't possibly behave one way and expect your kids to, to, to do differently. No way. It's not it's not gonna work. So that um, that I, I think it's a mistake for people to try and shelter their kids too much and, uh, and to hide the, uh, the ugliness of the, the world. Um, and you know, a lot of the, the purpose of things like fairy tales uh, is for children, the, the, the non-sanitized version. It's the original you know, grim, grim fairy stories of you know, early editions. Mm-hmm. Not really <laughs> correct edition. So we need to know yeah, bad things happen to all that. The Harry, Harry Potter story, you know, one of the reasons why Harry Potter's, uh, the Harry Potter books are so popular is because bad things happen to good people that they don't deserve. And so I think there's a sort of core uh, recognition of, yeah, there, there is real harm. Uh, there are really some malevolent forces in there. And you can be, there's causes for that, but you can see that there's, there's real harmfulness. And people get in the way, people get hurt. And that 
it's not that there's a sort of delight in people being miserable or people being you know, killed or messed up. But it's just something in us recognizes, yes, good to know this. Uh, and like um, the the stories of like uh, uh, the Greek tragedies or or Shakespeare. You know, why do people go and watch you know, Hamlet and King Lear you know, over and over again? Why why does a theatre still performing Sophocles and you know, Greek tragedies and, and comedies? Because they're portraying events and uh, aspects of our life that that we need to be conscious of. And in Greece, the theatres were like the psychiatric hospitals. They were next door to the, the, the sort of physical hospitals. The theatre was a psychiatric unit. So that's where you, like, you witness the sort of pains and uh, glories and sorrows and realities of the human condition. It's the, the, the theatre. <laughs> so but then when you see that happening, where, where uh, people are, are you know, you know, a mother losing all her children, or um, someone, you know, just uh, innocently offending a, a death some deity or other, and, uh, you know, some father tries to protect his daughter from getting raped by Joe, <laughs> and the whole family gets, gets wasted, is it? Then, you know, you think, oh, it's totally unfair. But it's like, yeah, but it happens, doesn't it? You know, the boss of the corporation decides, you know, they're moving into this town. So that then, even though we might see it's a tragedy and a huge injustice, the very fact we've seen it portrayed in front of our eyes, then it kind of prepares us for it. But when that happens to us, it's like, oh, dude, I've seen this happen before, don't panic. This is part of the whole thing. So, in, the, in the people's efforts to protect their children, to not let them see or feel sort of nastiness or unfairness, and when that unfairness is inevitably occurs, then the kids that something terrible has gone wrong. But then fairy stories, you know, where it's sort of cuddled up with your mother and she's telling you the story that, you know, something kind of nasty happening in it. It's like, yeah, nasty things happen, but basically it's all right because, you know, I'm on mum's lap. <laughs> so that strange mixture of both being uh, exposed to the, the, the kind of harshness and the, you know, the, the kind of beauty and the hilarity, the tragicomic nature of, of life, but yet, in a context of, of, uh, of genuine basic protection and, and support, that's a, a crucial mixture. And that's that, that, that it's like inoculating our children for life. So that when the, when the, when the viruses come, then they think, okay, reach for the magic pepper. Because when the boss comes at you in a rage, you know, okay something in you is remembering, and when the ogre comes at you, <laughs> reach for the feather, something, something can be done about it, don't panic. Do you need one last one? Yeah, yeah. You know, you've been hearing versions of this question for a long time. Um, how do I balance my writing practice with my meditation practice to see them interpose this well at the same time? So I pretty much surrender to my writing practice that when I'm writing, I'm writing half an hour on the time of half an hour off. There's really balance and so really good at it. But it's just guilty that I'm not meditating. That my daily meditation practice is antithetical to me saying, okay, let's 
let's get these, let's, let's receive these ideas and uh, and let them develop. So I think that we meditate on a, on a normal work day, writing day. Writing ideas come in. <laughs> and they're supposed to. And, and because of my neck injuries, I need to start my writing day, you know, as soon as possible. So what used to be meditation time and for breakfast is now writing period. And I, and I think the problem is that I feel guilty as a long-time meditator that my meditation practice is now weekends and retreats and vacation periods. But when I'm in writing mode, it's a practice. You know, am I telling myself a story or <laughs> writing a practice? You know, so it's piano playing, but I don't practice when I'm writing either. I can only seem to do one practice with my whole heart and soul and surrender. Well, um, I would, uh, in, 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 I would encourage you to keep writing in the next 12 years. <laughs> and you'll get another book. Um, so, that, like I was saying earlier, um, that, uh, to, to our, our friend here, the, um, the main issue is that I can choose to create suffering or not. Mm-hmm at any one time. I mean, one, one of the, the Buddhists, I mean, the Buddhists created Sinopsis for his teaching several different ways. One of them is, I teach one thing, suffering and the end of suffering. So that, 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 that's meditation advice, because that's the ending up. So, you can translate that into, you know, at any one moment, I, uh, I can create suffering or not create it. So if I create it, I can let it go. You know, that's the, the option that I have. So whether we happen to be sort of sitting on a cushion doing kind of meditation, or we happen to be writing, or we happen to be playing in the piano, or whatever, in any one of those, we can suffer or not suffer in any one of those modes, or every other mode during the course of the day. So make that the, the, the meditation of it. I mean, because in fact, and essentially that's the case anyway. Really. Well, I mean, it is. That's the root practice is, is, is non-suffering. So I guess I, I guess it's, it's in other words, <coughs> writing practice is, is it's valid and it's a practice. It's a focus. It's a concentration. It's, it's no suffering. as, you know, I think I've let go of the, the, the hurry and the rush that I surrendered that it takes as long as it takes. And yet I watch from the. You, I guess it's, it's, it's valid. In other words, the, pra- the practice is doing it as, as well and, and intelligently or as, with as much compassion and gentleness to myself and as enough wisdom so that it is the practice that I'm doing. It, it, in other words, it's a meditation form to do it without suffering in it. Right. Yeah. And so if you, if you drop the idea I am Linda Spangler and I am a committed meditator, therefore I should be meditating X number of hours per day. Scrub that, and then you'll see, here's a human writing book. And it's like, hey, it's a really expensive and spiritual way to write a book. Thank you, that's what I wanted to tell you. Well, I'm happy that's right. <laughs> Good. Okay, so maybe we can just, um, on that note, no pun intended, <laughs> <laughs> we can uh,
sit for a few more minutes and then we'll, we'll finish the afternoon with the sharing of the blessings.